Welcome to the podcast that puts a finger on the pulse of medicine and technology. On this show, you'll hear from investors, industry executives, and healthcare providers on the science and business of medicine. I'm your host, Omar M. Khatib, and this is the State of MedTech. If you're a physician listening to this, don't fast forward because you can get a CME credit for this episode. That's right. Through your quick reflection, you can unlock an AMA PRA Category 1 CME credit. So when you finish listening to this episode, or even if you decide to go online and read read about the episode, you can check the show notes below. There's a link. Click that link, go, and take 30 seconds to enter your reflection about what you learned, and you get one credit. How great is that? And you know what? Don't stop there. Spread the wealth. Send the show episode to a colleague so they can get a CME credit. And if you're a medical device, pharma, biotech company, or even a hospital, and you're interested in coming on the show and maybe having a CME eligible uh, episode, reach out to us. You can find me on LinkedIn at Omar M. Khatib and shoot me a message. We'd love to have you on. Now, on to the show. So, Thanks, uh, everybody, for joining. Hey, Kasim, uh, thanks for coming on to this uh, show, which is for those who, for some reason, don't know who you are. Uh, this is Dr. Kasim, <laughs> but Kasim, give, give us a, like a little bit of a high level uh, on who you are and your background. And then today, I just learned, is a very special day. Um, so I'm honored <laughs> that you chose your first activity was coming on the show. So t- tell us a little about your background and what just happened today. Well, yeah. So I'm actually uh, a nephrologist, a kid, uh, which is a kidney doctor. I've been at it for about 11 years. Um, uh, if you count fellowship, it's actually like 13. I'm actually a clinical nephrologist and an interventional nephrologist. And what that means is I do dialysis access work on people with accesses in their arms and catheters in their neck and all such stuff. So I do that half the time, kind of alternating. Over the last five to six years, I kind of been in the whole self-improvement thing. You know, I think you're kind of into it too, Omar, you know? Um, and over that time I've gained financial literacy, understanding of various topics. And then, um, and I've actually started my own social media and I'm on uh, LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. Um, my, uh, my, my YouTube channel is called your kidneys, your health. I kind of make simple content, um, simple, um, uh, educational content for patients using layperson's language, three to five, three to two to five minutes long, that kind of thing. And what's happened with me is like, you know, medicine has been a kind of a, a thing I've been doing for quite some time, but it becomes less and less fulfilling, right? Um, at a certain point, you realize you're not growing as a person. You kind of get stuck in the day to day. And so I've always been looking for new opportunities and new things. And what's cool is in 2020, which was the weirdest thing to happen, but was it was a really good year for me in the sense that all of a sudden everyone's at home. All of a sudden, um, I'm, you know, they're watching more of my YouTube, not my YouTube stuff, but my LinkedIn stuff. And LinkedIn was really beneficial to me as far as getting uh, contacts and things like that. And what happened in 2020, I met someone like yourself. And I remember we talked for like three hours that day, right? We three just hours went on and Friday, on. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, we were, I think you had a meeting and you canceled it. You were like, hell with it. I'll just keep on talking. Yeah, because I, I had a great time. Yeah, no, we, we just connected so well. And, you know, we have similar interests, read a lot of books and do a lot of cool you know, do cool things. And you introduced me to this world of med tech, uh, medical technology and stuff. And as a physician, you never really understand that world. Um, you can't, The only experience you have with med device is typically the you know, the, the, the sales rep that comes to your office with the free, yeah. with the free call. People want stuff lunch, hurt from right? you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's never, I've never seen the creative side of it or the innovative side of it. I just see the final product. 
And so uh, once I got involved, you know, I started talking to you, we started, you know, talking, but also then also, um, companies because of my LinkedIn profile started reaching out to me. So I've gotten certain scientific advisory roles on companies. Um, Alio is one of them. Icon of Health is another. And I've worked with Dr. PD as well, too. All of a sudden, I've got these insights into the startup space. And when I got into the startup space, I just realized, holy crap, there are so many creative people out there. You just have to find them. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and then you, all of a sudden your mind starts working differently and you start thinking differently when you talk to like venture capitalists and all this kind of stuff. And, um, over, over that, uh, over that time, I've kind of said, Hey, this is, this is kind of something I really interested in. And when I remember you particularly told me, Hey, you need to attend this med tech conference called LSI life science intelligence. And, uh, that's where shout out Scott to Scott Pentel. Pentel. Yeah. Shout out, Scott, to, Scott shout out to him because he's, you know, he's a part of my change as well too. Um, love the conference just being around that kind of in intellect and talent and just innovation was as crazy and the collaborative nature of it where you see like one of the ceos of my one of my startups was there and that is literally one of the coolest things i've ever seen was two founders talking about funding and how they gain funding and just kind of helping each other out it was so cool that's dave karangatla and i can't say his name properly but he's a great guy with a leo but anyway, so I'm there. And then I, when I come back, I'm like, you know what? I need to go into this industry. And if it's either med tech or healthcare startups. So I gave my resignation at that time. And when I gave my resignation, I have this ridiculous six month notice, which is crazy, a half a year. Uh, but it's up uh, on November 24th of this year. And, um, and today is special in a weird way because at 5 p.m. Central, which was just about 20 minutes ago, I had my last weekend call of my life, which is just the most ridiculous thing to say as a physician in your forties, um, just to say that. And, you know, if you're a physician, like being on call is something after a while that you dread and you're like, oh my God, another weekend taken away from me, another night taken away from me or a night of bad sleep. All of a sudden right now I have this air of like, oh my God, it's a thing like a shoulder, like a burden lift off my shoulders. Like, holy crap, I don't have to do that anymore. I got about three more days left of actual clinical practice. And actually right now I'm pursuing um, roles in startups, whether that be chief medical officer, medical director, or any innovative roles I can come up with. So I'm in the process of talking to companies. I'm going to take the month of December off just to kind of chill and reset and, you know, kind of relax. And then hopefully starting in January, I could start a position somewhere. So weird way I'm doing this podcast on, the, on a day that means a lot to me and with a guy that really helped me get there. So that's super cool. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is, um, I'm going to take like a tiny bit of credit. Cause I feel like I, 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 I'm an agent and I discovered a star, you know, and I remember like, <laughs> you know, what was it like? It, it feels like we've known each other for like years now, but it was really just a year ago. And I came across your content on YouTube, um, which back then I think you had like two or 300, uh, subscribers. Now you're like, you're in the thousands already. And I, I remember when we talked, I, you know, the first thing I mentioned, and this is what I tell like all my, a lot of physicians is, you know, a lot of physicians, you know, and people in general have a goal of like, I want to mm. get involved in technology or startups, et cetera. The problem with a goal like that is that you have to go manually one by one and look for stuff, right? And mm. you're very limited in that worldview. But what you ended up doing, and you did that like at scale, which was you ended up with a system of using your clinical background, which you focused on like kidney education, kidney health, mm -hmm. and use that as a system, right? To one, educate people, but also amplify your brand. And then you ended up receiving a lot of inbound. And I, and I remember, I mean, 
I remember the first six months that we we met and we knew each other. I felt like I think he called me like every week or so because like this company called you, that company called you. So you had like all this inbound, and now you've you you're making this transition from your clinical career, which you've done it for for a long time, and you're now moving into a different a phase of your clinical career, which is more on the technology side, which is super exciting. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it's weird, you know. I, I, I'm not a big fan of social media from a personal side, but from a professional side, I think it has to be embraced, um, especially on LinkedIn. I, I, I'm really big about, you know, meaningful, meaningful content. Like, I think there's a lot of content out there that's actually garbage and kind of narcissistic and just blah, um, you know, uh, but making meaningful content that, you know, educates people, but also comes across for people to, you know, to get inspired by or whatever. Um, LinkedIn has been such a great platform for that. And, you know, my, 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 uh, my followers have gone up on LinkedIn, but also just my reach and engagements are great. And so it's fun to talk to people about that. And, uh, um, and again, what's cool is like this morning, a startup like literally texted me, uh, messaged me on LinkedIn, which is cool. I wasn't going to get involved in it, but you know, it's, it's cool just to have that there. Um, and you know, I'm not saying I'm the, the expert of startups or the expert of anything, but I'm at that beginning phase and, and in a weird way, Omar, I still feel like I have, I'm in imposter syndrome. You know what I'm saying? Like I have that kind of mentality where like, do I really know what I'm doing? <laughs> and so, like, but at the same time, like you kind of have to rip off the band aid sometimes, right? Just get in. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that exists, you know, for a lot of people in a lot of places. Right. Is that this imposter yeah. syndrome, which is like, you're not good enough or like, you don't, you don't know, but you, you actually do. And, you know, and I think I, what I tell people all the time is like, you shouldn't be the judge of it. Let the market judge that. And if the market thinks you're ready, then you are, you know? And yeah. I think, I mean, you know, just because it's two guys talking, you know, like perfect example, you know, one of my, one of my younger cousins, uh, we went out, uh, together, like, you know, uh, this a couple of years ago at a bar, he wanted to go you know, he saw some girl that he knew he really liked, he wanted to go talk to her. And he's like, he's like, Oh, you know, I, I would like to go talk to that girl, but I don't think she'd be interested in me, you know, like, and he came up with some lame excuse. Mm -hmm. I'm like, did she tell you that? And he's like, No, she didn't. I was like, Well, why are you? Why are you making that decision for her? like, you should just go and let that person make that decision. And lo and behold, like, yeah. you know, they actually started dating. <laughs> oh, wow. So he owes wow. Me. Yeah, That's he owes crazy. me for that. Yeah, he owes me for that. Yeah, yeah the sa same same case in this in this is that like, yeah, you might not think that you have the experience, but like the market feels that you do and the market feels that you have something of value, you know? Yeah. And I would say this to a lot of clinicians, like, well, in general, I think most people's biggest hurdles is their own inertia, right? They're just caught up in their own inertia and they don't know how to change it or change direction or whatever. But even as a, as a physician, like what I've realized, especially talking to the industry throughout the years, like they do not understand the point of care like we do, right? They don't under, they understand device and they understand pharmaceuticals, but they don't understand the, 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 the actual where the rubber meets the road, right? With patient care. And I think a lot of that insight is needed, especially from physicians, um, to kind of contribute, whether that be an AI algorithm, ML, or, or just, you know, a, a company as a whole, a device company, or like how, even in the sales department, what's the best way to approach a physician, right? How, how should I, what time should I come? What should I bring them? How should I explain it? That kind of thing, you know, reimbursements, whatever it may be, our insights mean something. And uh, I don't think a lot of physicians undervalue that component. So no, I completely agree. And you know what? Let's let's start there because I think a lot of physicians who want to get involved in med tech and they may, you know, maybe not even change their career, but just like explore it. They're, re you know, one is that they don't have time uh, and they're kind of freaked out about it. And of course, not not everybody has like, you know, 
a platform like yours, even though yours, you know, was back then, again, I remind people this, it was, it was small back then, but like, what's your recommendation? Like, what's a good first step for a physician just to start exploring this, not even making a change in career, but just to say, let me explore this and get some inbound and see like what this is like, like, what, what would you recommend to them? So I've, I've actually talked to a lot of physicians about this. I've talked, I've actually got to talk to the people on the other side already, like on the med tech side and the, and the healthcare startup side, and they got their advice about things. I think everyone's way in is different, right? Everyone's way in is different. But what I think is really beneficial, and I've told a lot of physicians this, is get on LinkedIn. Like a lot of physicians aren't on LinkedIn. It's not a, as much of a doctor platform. But what I've seen is get in LinkedIn, start friending people, start connecting with people, and Connecting with people in your space. If you're a gastroenterologist, connect with people in the gastroenterology kind of med tech kind of scene um, or, or whatever, maybe Hemonc or whatever it is, endocrinology. And then like see what companies are out there and then honestly reach out to some of these people in those companies. Just message them on LinkedIn. I, what I found is so many people on LinkedIn are like super cool. Like they actually like engaging with people and especially a physician like i think they value physician feedback and physician in in input so you know as a physician i i think get on linkedin be somewhat active on it if you're on social media already you do social media i mean facebook is great for certain things like personal but like just treat like linkedin almost like a professional right and professional and so um, it's an easy way to connect with people, reach out. And, and I'm sure like, even like yourself, Omar, like you had a product, like a you know, with private practice, if a private practice said, Hey, I own, I own a private practice. Could I talk to you someday? I'm pretty sure you'd be open to talking to them. Right. Absolutely. And so, <laughs> and so that's how I think is a, a really easy, quick way to, to get involved in it. I mean, you can look up the med tech scene and all that stuff. Maybe even go to a conference like I did. Uh, I went to a conference after I got into it a little bit. So I knew what I was talking about, but even then just jump right in. Uh, I found that the most of the scene is actually very open and very re receiving of doctors. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's a really good point because, you know, I think um, like most people, when a physician thinks about like starting up a, a network or anything, they're, they're like, you know, they look at people who have like tens of thousands of followers and everything and really just have to just start small. And I think that the benefit about LinkedIn is one is like you get to, you know, just because somebody sends you a message doesn't mean like you have to reply to it. I mean, I recommend do it. Like you don't want to be a jerk about it. But, you know, yeah. one thing I tell them is like, and, and actually I can use you as a, as a very simple case study because like it happened very naturally, but like you can engineer this. So like you and I got connected, right, on LinkedIn. So I was kind of your doorway into like, the back then, like the world of critical care, because I was with Petrero and, and part of what, what we did, we were focused on urine output, right? So, so yeah, you and I didn't have a formal engagement. I didn't pay you back then, but I would call you and get advice from you on things, right? But yeah, in, in that in that process, as you, you know, posted, right, I would go and like your posts, Joe Urban will also go like your posts. And then because of because of us liking some of your posts, our network, which is other tech, med tech companies would start seeing and be like, oh, like who's this nephrologist? We had no idea about him. And then you start getting more exposure, then you have more inbound with people connecting with you. And I think that mm -hmm. using using the industry to your advantage, like if, for example, per simple example, if you're a surgeon, get on LinkedIn, I guarantee you all the reps who wanna sell to you or your reps who are supporting you right now, when you make a post, they're automatically gonna go and like and comment on your post. And then as a result, their entire network starts seeing you, you do that, once a week for, for a month or two, you'll be surprised how many people not only will reach out to you, but the whole key is like getting exposure to new and different information. And that's what I think like you've done this at scale for a year and that's how you're able to make the shift. Like in, in, in not in an intense way, it's not like you just woke up and say, like, I'm quitting my job. Like 
it was it was very easy for you to kind of ease into it. Would you agree with that? No, I, I completely agree. So I, I always find it funny when you are portrayal medical. Um, like portrayal is like my gateway drug into med tech, right? Like it was like <laughs> it really is, like, yeah. Shout it out was. to Accurate. It's, yeah, it's out of the Accurate device. And so um, well, what, what's funny is like, you know, you started talking to me about that. I think I talked to your sales team. I talked to Joe and I gave my input, inputs as a nephrologist as far as your output and the frustrations we have. I remember talking to your team and this was really fascinating. I mean, they were like, why don't they like the, the, the hour by hour urine output thing? And I'm like, because in nephrology, we think of it on a 24 hour scale. So like, I like to look at urine output, you know, 24 hours later and I look at the creatinine and kidney function 24 hours later. So we look in 24 hour intervals. You have to divide, explain to your, explain to people like to look at into, into a real time device, like a real time input into how the kidneys are actually doing now. So that's a different thing. So I remember talking to your sales department about that as well. But what was funny was, and I told you this, like I thought was crazy was I actually haven't, I actually became a physician champion for your device at one of the hospitals. And oh, that's not awesome. Paid right off. Yeah. Remember, remember Metropolitan Methodist? Remember? Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was actually, you know, trying to help the, help you guys because I knew the device was really good and everything. And yes, I was, that's right. And, I, and so I actually never got to physically see it at that time. Um, and I did not get paid, but it gave me insight into the industry, gave me insight to people, you know, um, and that kind of thing. And then f funny thing is my last weekend on call yesterday, I actually first time saw it in real life. I had the Accurin device and it was that's like, right. oh my God, and like the last weekend on call, I'm on call. I actually finally see the Accurin device in real life. And I know you, I know Joe, Joe Urban, I know Dan Burnett, the founder, the, the inventor and founder of it. So it's so freaking cool how it came full circle in that way. And so, um, and again, it's just, I think it's just about opening your mind up. I don't think you, you know, you and I do social media and we like social media. We, I don't think you necessarily have to do videos like we do or, yeah, you know, but, but I, I think you just have to be a present on it and maybe like, maybe exactly. just comment and just, and just engage. And quite honestly, I get people reaching out to me all the time about, Hey, I want to talk or want to talk about stuff. And I'm like, sure, sure. I can squeeze in a half an hour here and there, you know, and get, get a new contact. And I've made actually made friends, you know, like yeah, on this plat on the, on the plat platform. So, yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. Which is like a lot of people, uh, when I talk to them about using LinkedIn to start a new career, they think like it's videos or anything. It's like, no, you can start something small, like literally, I mean, not even posting, if you just go and, and connect with uh, people in your space who are thought leaders, people you want to work with, and you find time to go and leave comments. And when I say a comment, like, yeah, you can say like great posts and everything, but if you can sp spend some time to think of a thoughtful comment, and some people leave like a, a paragraph or two on certain topics, you know, their entire network plus your entire network sees that comment. And I think that's the one value of LinkedIn that other platforms don't have is that you yeah. see very, very in-depth discussions happening. And that's kind of how you can develop yourself as a thought leader. Like, you know, just, you know, I don't know how many people on this podcast will know him because he's in a different space, but like Chris Walker, who's become right. like, not, I don't want to say an overnight success. I watched him do this for like the last two years, but you know, he's a, uh, he's a big thought leader in B2B marketing. And a lot of his uh, content aside from like videos and everything is like him leaving long, really informative comments on certain posts, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah, and I think I think the way I mean, if you think about like why do you go, for example, to a conference? Um, you know, part of it is like to learn about new things, to engage with your peers in industry. And I would say that that's kind of the same concept you're doing on LinkedIn, except that's something that can be done at scale and you know over a longer period of time. And it's not like you know 
if you're at a conference, you have a like you have a discussion with somebody really interesting in depth. That thing's that's gone. You do it on LinkedIn. That's there for everybody to see for forever, technically. You know, and yeah. so I think that there's a scalability. Uh, uh, there's a problem with scalability that LinkedIn or just social media in general help helps solve. Yeah, and uh, well, especially LinkedIn, I think it gets rid of like I would say like the barrier to entry of a conference. You know, like you don't have to pay an admission fee, you don't have to fly there, you don't have to get a hotel room, you don't have to you know do that awkward walk up, hey, where are you from, kind of thing, right? You can literally like say, hey, this guy's in this guy's in my my space, um, seems cool. Let me just message him, hey man, I just you know I thought you were doing some cool things. Maybe we can connect on a Zoom call sometime not awkward now, you know, that's the zoom calls are just a standard thing. It's so I think it's kind of, and I fully embrace it. And most of the time I, you know, most people embrace me when I ask for the same thing. So, so let's, let's talk about, um, you know, like you, like right now, I mean, there's a variety of different med tech companies, uh, who I will not mention, but I know of them cause you, we had talked about it, that have reached out to you cause everyone's kind of vying for your business and for your attention and engagement, mm -hmm. but like what, you know, in this new chapter of your career, like, what kind of things are you looking for? What kind of things get you excited? And maybe, well, and maybe right you can now, kind of uh, add to that, like, you know, the, the nephrology space, because I think nephrologists have never really had the luxury of like really cool tech. And then now with this yeah. advent of like interventional nephrology, there's a lot of really interesting things that nephrologists can get involved with. So yeah, t tell us a little bit about that. So, you know, what's weird is like, you know, I don't, I don't foresee like, you know, I, I see, I like the med tech stuff. I really do new devices and stuff, but I don't think the biggest innovation or the biggest uh, breakthrough in medicine as a whole is going to be a device or a, a new pharmaceutical. I think it's going to be innovation in the delivery of healthcare, right? Like the actual getting healthcare to people and, um, and, and quite honestly, uh, I'm optimizing, um, optimizing medications, but also uh, decreasing costs. Right. So like we can talk about the next pharmaceutical or the next device, but quite honestly, even the standard of care stuff now, we're not really optimizing. Right. Like I think like if you think about like the doctor patient relationship, like if you're my patient, do you like we in the past, we thought, hey, I'm your doctor. I give you medication. I give you two, three, four medications. You should take them. And that's the end of story. And that's the relationship, right? What you realize is there's so much more to that, right? It's the patient behavior, the patient compliance. Is the medication affordable to you? Can you make your appointments? And that's where things like clinical care teams come in and other things to where the delivery of care has to be improved. And even improving like remote patient monitoring or virtual clinic or virtual meet meetings and things like that. So I think the real innovation is going to be in those companies that actually deliver care better. Do you see what I'm saying? Not just get the next device. And so, um, you know, I've kind of become in a weird way an expert in uh, value-based medicine, particularly when it comes to kidney care. Um, CMS had a has a, came up with a, a new kidney care models to incentivize doctors in different ways. So, you know, many people here listening on the med tech side, you know, everyone's always wanting to get that CPT code, right? Or um, you bill fee for service. That's what that's the that's the model, right? Increase the revenue stream to a practice. That's how you market something. Well, now it's going to be more about creating value, right? It's going to be about not just, uh, you know, fee-for-service kind of incentivizes more care, but doesn't incentivize better care, right? So when you do value-based medicine and everyone's at risk for bad results, which it makes you better, uh, better, essentially makes you a better doctor. So it's going to, it's going to be interesting. I think anything that 
delivers care better and, and, and faster and decreases healthcare costs overall, I think that's where I see the most innovation and in a weird way, get more excited about, you know, um, because I've, I've just seen so many inefficiencies in our market, like kidney, healthcare and kidney care in, in general are just completely inefficient. Dude, I'm staring, like I'm at a hospital, I'm not going to say where it was, but I'm staring at a EMR that is literally like something from the 1990s. Not not joking. Dog they face. suck, don't they? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I believe they it. suck. And it's like, yeah, and it's like black and white, and it's like so simplistic, and it's like this would never be acceptable in any other industry, right? And so, no, definitely not. Uh, yeah. Do you find that so frustrating? That's where that, I get. Ex- do you find that frustrating? Like as a clinician, I mean, I feel like there's there's value to. Um, standardization and data in healthcare. But the problem, yeah. I mean, again, me speaking from the few years I spent in medical school, not every patient falls into a drop-down menu. Like, do, do you find, do you find EMRs frustrating? Do you feel like they've, they've kind of. Yeah. Uh, so with the, with the inherent problem with EMRs is they're not, they're not designed for clinical care. They're designed for billing. That's what they're designed for. Right. They're ma- So they're not like the billing codes that we have, which are ridiculous ICD-10 codes. I mean, they, they're, they're so, they're, they're, they don't make any sense from a clinician standpoint. So even the drop-down menu, you're like, okay, what kind of high, congestive heart failure is this? What kind of high potential, high blood pressure is this? Like it's such an elaborate, you know, drop-down menu. You're just like, okay, I'll just pick one. So the billing system, EMRs, uh, again, like the usability of them, they're not intuitive by any means. You have to actually get trained on them because they're so bad. So that's always, uh, I think that this, that's, uh, you know, ripe for innovation as well too. So totally, totally. So if, if you don't mind me asking, like, you know, there are physicians who are going to be listening to this and probably thinking like, I, I really want to just quit my job. I'm just, I'm just done with this. Like, you know, but <laughs> yeah, what, what I talked to one today, like? by the way, but <laughs> oh, really? well, like, yeah, what, what yeah. walk us through that? Because like, it's kind of a scary, it is, it is scary. Right. So like, yeah. What did that look like for you? How did your peers react? You know, how did you manage the, you know, the pressure? Cause I guarantee someone, someone's going to be like, someone back then was probably trying to convince you not to do it and trying to like shame you, you know? So what, what was that like? Yeah. Well, the hardest part of like, if you get into like med tech or startups as a whole is explaining the concept of concept of med tech and startups to regular people, right? It's just a abstract concept of people, right? Like everything, one thinks a startup, maybe Facebook 20 years ago, right? That's what it is. They don't understand conceptually how it works or even the healthcare industry. So that's, that's been a hard part for me. Like, so what are you going to do? I'm like, <laughs> like, I'm going to go into, you know, this and do this. So I literally have to go on like a five to 10 minute rant about what it is. You see what I'm saying? Um, uh, as far as you're saying, like, as far as, uh, what was the question again, man? It was like, like, like um, when you, when you decided to leave, like, you know, you had to talk yeah. to your partners and everything and like, how, like, yeah. what's your recommendation to physicians who do this? So like, for example, um, you know, somebody, if a physician starts posting more on LinkedIn and everything, you know, they might get, they might get some, you know, you know, pushback from partners. Some people in the group may not like yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, and I actually got that yeah. too. I got some pushback from part, you know, partners oh, too, because did. I have my own brand of social media. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I think, you know, the, the best way out and maybe everyone's different. You know, I felt like I had to rip off the bandaid and just jump in, but you know, a good way out. If you are a physician, maybe 
going part-time in your practice, right? And not being a full-time clinician, maybe opening up times, time slots for consulting or, um, you know, working part-time. A lot of these roles are part-time medical director or part-time CMO. You know, you can open up those kind of roles for you and that way you keep cash flow coming into your house and then you can still experiment. You see what I'm saying? So that's, that's yeah, an out as well too. What, what made you, and, what made you say you're going to just jump in? Well, a lot of reasons. I think I just had my frustrations with the practice, but also just in medicine as a, as a whole. Um, and I just, you know, it's weird. I just was like, you know what? I need to do this. Like, I just need to do it. So I just, I, I can't explain it. <laughs> it's just, it was just a level of frustration. I was like, you know what? And, and I have this weird thing, man. So I had a, um, like uh, next month in, not next, in January, I turned 45 and I was like, I'm not having another goddamn birthday again here. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I need to finally move on. And I think your mid forties, what I, what's interesting is I think in your mid forties, you're more comfortable with who you are as a person and you kind of realize your value. You see what I'm saying? And so, and you're very confident in who you are. So I think it may be an opportune time. I don't want to go into my fifties or sixties and regret like that. I never did it. Right. No, and, totally. and what's cool is that and an opportune time too. like, what's cool is what I've noticed in the med tech or healthcare scene, the doctors that are in it are people like yourself, the mental med school, you know, and then dropped out or just did med school or maybe did residency. Um, they're not doctors that have 11 years experience like I do. And so if you're a clinician out there listening and you have five, six, seven years, eight years, 10 years experience, oh, it's extremely powerful, you know, that very valuable. It's, it's like, whoa, I can literally speak to if someone comes up with like a value based medicine scheme or like a or like a new device, I can really tell you, hey, this is where I think it fits in. And would Absolutely. would would, would uh, the market like it? You see what I'm saying? Certain things, I'm like, I don't think anyone would buy that product, you know, um, because it doesn't doesn't do what it's I think supposed to, or I like think you're doesn't absolutely bring right. You know, and I think you know this is yeah. the weird part of like where medicine is right now, which is, and again, no offense to them, but I'm just going to call this out, and some people are going to have uh, an issue with this, but you know, whatever, it's true. Is that you have some people who go to medical school and they graduate with an MD and they decide like they don't want to go to practice. That's totally okay. And they'll go to work for like McKinsey or Bain or like one of these management consulting firms and everything. And then they expect to be, you know, like when they deal with MedTech, like when I deal with, with somebody like that, they expect for me to value their opinion as though they actually practice. And that's not even the case. And it's even, even it's for somebody who went through residency. If somebody went through residency and let's say even finished, like it's not the same. Like, I'm sorry, like, no, you, you know, the, their, their opinion is valuable by, by all means it is valuable. But in terms of, I mean, I would say that I, I respect the opinion of, let's say a, a rep who's worked in spine surgery for the last 10, 15 years, telling me like where they think clinically things, things are going and how, oh, you know, and how to yeah. improve things versus somebody who just finished like, you know, I don't know, a year or two residency, like, it's just not the same. So I think like cl clinicians who have been doing it for at minimum like three three to five years minimum like bring a lot of value what i would say is on the flip side that mm -hmm. finding ways kind of again like what you did you spent this last year kind of like going to like startup medtech university like you went to conferences you, you and i talked a lot you, you you spend time engaging with the industry and a lot of that was free but if, but in exchange you're getting exposure to like how people think about product how they how they sell and all these things you know including how a hospital goes through buying cycles so like all that knowledge now you've been able to like very successfully like and I know you've done like more paid engagements and everything which which is awesome I, like the fact that i think you're the first like a uh, 
one of the first physician influencers clinically that I know, at least definitely in, in internal medicine, hands down. Um, yeah. But I think like in 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 doing that, you 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 were able to develop those skills, you know. Yeah, and and, and to your point, like. Just because you went to med school doesn't know you mean you know how to be a doctor. You just learn some. You just learn book learning, and you do some clinical rotations. It's there, and residency. I would agree with you there. You do get some training in it, but I think when you're finally out on your own, and, and I remember the first two three years of practice, you're just struggling in the weird sense of finally getting your stride right, and you being confident in who you are at that point. Um, so it took two three years just to do that, and then after you know eleven years, I'm like, whoa, you know, you get a really good perspective. And what was interesting. Was like 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 um, yesterday. I was actually sitting with some med students uh, that were Queensland at my hospital. I was just telling them about what I was doing and stuff. And it's weird how you can speak with such confidence after a certain point in your life and be like, you know what? I, I don't want have something. I don't have it all figured out even at my age, right? And you can tell a med student that you know it's it's kind of interesting. You know, they could be a next the next Omar Khadib, right? He may dr drop out and go into med sec or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's know? right. Yeah, <laughs> got, yeah. So. I got <laughs> but you know, but it's but it's so true, and I think I think it's a I think it's a um, it's a sign of the times, though, man. Like, there's no yeah. more like linear jobs, right? It's kind of like oh, absolutely molding, this, molding your, your, your job to where you are to in life. Yeah, it, it, yeah, right? yeah, and I think that's the problem with doctors as well, too. And this is because we're so academic. Like, we we we're in school until like. 28, 29, 30, you know what I'm saying? Like residency, fellowship, every, everything included, whatever. And, you know, what a problem with academia is that it's like an academic mindset. It robs you of creativity and you, it makes you think life is linear, right? Finish, finish college, finish med school, finish residency, finish fellowship, get a job and 30 years later, die, right? Like that's how you 30 years later. I like it. After your 401k is full and you can retire or whatever it is, right? Like that's the logic. Right. And whereas you start to realize that life is not linear, it is literally horizontal, backwards, forwards, up and down, and you can change and reinvent yourself, which is so fun. Like it's actually, it's kind of scary. And what's cool, even as a doctor, let's say to a lot of doctors out there, guess what guys, even if you take the leap, you have a skill set that pays a lot of money. So like worst case scenario, if I don't have something lined up right away, right? Like in the next few months or whatever, I can still uh, work a part-time locums working and make money to offset. That's a income, great point. Right? And, and most people don't have that kind of career guys. So if you're taking a career change as a physician, guess what? You can easily pick up a few shifts here or there, wherever, and that's supplement that's, income. That's absolutely true. That is, yeah. that is so, so great. I have to get over that. Yeah, I have to get over that kind of think thinking of you know of like oh my, hey I'm not getting this I'm not getting you know I'm not getting the the, the set salary every two weeks, but it, it's kind of a leap. But um, I don't know like but, I got to the point where the fear over you know the frustration overran the fear you know so it's totally like, I and you know jump. yeah the the money you know I tell people this all the time is that like you know you can you can always make back the money you can't make back the time. Yeah. And so, that's and so, so you're true. better off. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can always go back. That's that's the thing. I think people have this misconception. It's like if I leave, it's I'm done. It's like no, that's not like life isn't that that bad. And, and yeah, you know, I think the other thing is that you know there's options. So so like uh, John, Doctor uh, John Eureka, J U R I C A. He has a website called Non Clinical Physicians or Non Clinical Careers. I it's, if you Google Non Clinical Physician Careers, yeah. it'll come up. And so there's a lot of ways for physicians to make money on the side 
um, whether it is like uh, medical writing or, um, or, or, or dealing with like the legal system and stuff. There's just a lot of locums is a great example of that just picking up shifts, you know? Yeah. But I think, I think the biggest thing, you know, uh, I guess takeaway from what you said is for physicians who are interested, like, you know, just get on LinkedIn and start engaging with the community. And then if it's, if there's something really there that they're, that, that is interesting to them, like take the leap and just look at it as like a sabbatical year and take, go like part-time for a year. And with that extra time, just like really dive in, like invest in going to a conference. I mean, you invested in going to this uh, LSI conference wasn't cheap, but like the, the amount of like network and opportunities you walked away from there, like, you know, I still run into people yeah, today yeah. from LSI and they're like, Hey, is Kasim going next year? I'm like, I don't know. I have to ask him. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's super cool. And again, like, I don't know, like, I think you have to stop thinking in terms of m just money. Like when you think of ROI, like, you know, like you have to start thinking of experience and knowledge and um, other things as well and friendships and, you know, innovation as a, as an ROI, right? Like as opposed to just thinking of it as a monetary gain, right? So that friendship, like yourself, like you haven't paid me, I haven't paid you, but it's paid off in so many I ways. I paid you with right? love, Kasim. A lot of yeah. love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I won't tell your wife that, dude. I won't tell your wife. No, yeah, no, our so, wives are getting really pissed, man. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how I, I you have to start thinking of it, and I, I think it depends on the person. You don't have to be these, you know, like like us that are like kind of outgoing personalities that like to talk and engage. You don't have to. Dude, be you're that, you're the most you outgoing know? nephrologist I've ever seen in my life. I, I, I remember I told you I told you. I know. I was like, I, like some yeah. people that like, like he's in the fraud. I'm like, I have no idea. Something happened. Something went wrong in a very good way. But there's somehow this guy. Ended you have you have nephrology. any idea how bored I am at a nephrology conference? It's like going to a fuck. <laughs> it's like just a bunch of dorks and a few pretty girls and. <laughs> Like, hey, but you know, man, I'll, I'll, but look straight up though. I've been to so many different med tech conferences. Let me tell you, Neff Twitter is lit. The nephrologists on Twitter, yeah. I don't know what, lit, insane. I mean, it's, it's so wild. I, I don't like Twitter, you know, and I've heard it's the, it's the, you know, the platform for nephrologists, but I feel like it's also the platform for douchebags. So I just don't like it, you know, yeah, so I've never really it's, gotten it's engaged good. with it. You know, yeah. you know, I heard something the other day. Um, who knows? Maybe this, I don't think this will get me banned. LinkedIn, don't ban me. You know, you love me. I love you guys. But someone yeah. said, uh, LinkedIn's kind of like the North Korea of social media. And I'm like, that is really on point. Like, think about it because like for, for us, LinkedIn, we use LinkedIn all the time, but if you, have you ever talked to somebody who's very big in social media or you just use social media a lot for their business or brand? And then they, they're not on LinkedIn. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it, it's a thing. Like I've never met somebody who's like got LinkedIn, Twitter, and they don't have Instagram or something. So like anytime I talk to people who are not using LinkedIn, because usually they're like in the consumer world or politics or something, so just not on LinkedIn. So yeah, I, I feel LinkedIn's in North Korea, social media, man. It's like kind of secluded. Yeah. It's got its own thing going on, you know? You yeah, can't, you can't just post. You can't, it's got yeah, it's totally got its own, <laughs> own propaganda. You can't post, you can't just post anything you want on LinkedIn. Like, you know, Instagram, Twitter, you can find all kinds of stuff. LinkedIn. No, no, like no matter which yeah. end you're seeing, there's like a, there's like kind of like a set boundary of like, no, you can't do that on LinkedIn, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I and that's a cool thing. You know, there are some people that break the politics. LinkedIn's, LinkedIn's a good about, version of North Korea. Or, How about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, so they, they break the, they break the rules of LinkedIn sometimes and every, but then you have like people that detractors and they're just like, not detractors, but like literally people that ban, this is not the place for this in LinkedIn, you know? Like, oh, man, like, aren't those people the best? Oh gosh! You yeah, know, I'll it's tell like you. self -right and now, 
Go ahead. Uh, those, those people, you know, I take advantage of them all the time because I'll, I'll post stuff. Actually, it's been a while since I've, since I've, I don't think anybody has done that yet. But, you know, I say take advantage of those people. All those haters, they're just adding fuel to the algorithm to, to optimize your posts. It's just like, love it. Hate on it, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's a, I think once you get into social media, you realize the game of it and the algorithm, how the algorithms work. And you're like, it's, 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 an, it's an interesting, but overall, I, I generally think LinkedIn has the most substantive content. I on totally the, agree on there. The platform, best, best like content. Like it's substantive. Best content as far as like, you know, you can really know what's going on in the, in the business world, like literally know you can learn things about different industries um, and, you know, connect with people from different industries. And so, and that's what I really feels like, you know, like we went to those med tech conferences, which is interesting. I said, there's not that many doctors there. And I, I really believe that the biggest innovation in healthcare is going to come from non-doctors because I think you need outside industries to look at, at healthcare and say, Hey, you're not doing this right. You know, it's like, I think we become so insular and we don't even notice the problems, right? Like, you know, for, for 11 years, I've been staring at a EMR that's really subpar for even 20 years ago, you know, like, so. I think, yeah. I think it's a combo of both because like on the other side and I'm speaking, so you're speaking from the clinician side, um, for me on the tech side, the issues is that sometimes I see a lot of, uh, industries come in, like that come into healthcare and like, Ooh, you know, us spends like 20, 25% of G of its GDP on healthcare. We're going to make so much money in here. And then they they come with these solutions, and you can tell like it's you can tell which which companies didn't really spend a whole lot of time talking to doctors because you just look at what they're doing and you're like this this is stupid. No doctor is going to use this. Um, and I think you yeah. see that pretty often. I think like um, you know there's there's some really big tech companies that came in and they just failed, and I think it's because they didn't they didn't spend enough time really engaging with clinicians. I think they spent time engaging with clinicians who are at the top, you know chairs of academic yeah. yeah super yeah. academic which is fine there's a time and place for that but like healthcare there's so much there's so much around it i want to go back to this concept and maybe this is kind of like the the next area where i think physicians can make a lot of impact because on the um you know there's only so much you can do on the clinical and pharmaceutical side that takes a lot of time but in terms of delivery of care the that seems like it could be impacted rather quickly just in, just in terms of how you engage with patients so what like what what made you say that he didn't say this to me like a year ago what what makes you, what makes you say that that's going to be the biggest area for innovation uh because i i genuinely believe like um you know like the cost of care is going to be taken into account now cms knows that this, what we're doing is unsustainable the fee-for-service model is unsustainable right so in order to optimize care you can't pay in the fee-for-service model because the fee-for-service model incentivizes more care it doesn't incentivize better care right so what that means is you know, like you, when you go at risk, that's what they essentially do. Like they'll take an entity or company or uh, insurance company or whatever, and they'll say, uh, or primary care, pri primary care um, practice and say, guess what? You're at risk for your patients. Meaning you get this capitated payment quarterly for a patient care and guess, and anything, uh, and you're responsible for the total cost. So if you save us money as a payer, we're going to, you know, um, we're going to, we're going to give you more money. If you don't save us, you're going to be dinged for it. So how do you improve that overall outcome is in the delivery of care. And I've noticed that um, even with some primary groups we work with, hey, don't send our patients to the ER, send us to our urgent care center. We have our own urgent care center that handle urgent needs. Don't send them to the ER because the ER visit is going to cost us three, $4,000 out of our pocket. Do you see what I'm saying? And that also incentivizes out of patient, outpatient uh, procedures. 
right, in ambulatory surgical centers or office-based labs, as opposed to sending to the hospital, because the hospital costs too much. Everything that's done in a hospital costs too much. So I, that, that's where I see a lot of the care. And again, uh, also delivery of care, uh, you know, in a weird way in the next five to 10 years, I really foresee a lot of doctors losing power in these new models. And the reason why oh, is because- It's already happening. Yeah, it's happening. It, it, we've already yeah. seen it like in our lives, you know, like even my 10 or 11 year career, your, your career. And, and again, these clinical care teams are going to come into account and doctors may be a part of those teams, but they're they're not going to be the primary one, the guy that makes all the decisions kind of thing. Right. Uh, you're going to punt to the, the, the nutritionist. You're going to punt to the nurse practitioner. You're going to punt to the to the you know social worker. So there's going to be a lot of uh, aspects of care of the patient and really treating a patient as a whole. Right. Again, like. Uh, if, to be honest, like our patients probably take their compliance with their meds are 50, probably 50%. And we play this, you know, like game with our patients. It's funny. We, we almost lie. Like we give them a list of medications that go 10 to 15 pills long, right? Some of them once yeah. a day, some of them three times a day, some of them two. I'm like, who are we kidding? Like, it's not physically possible for a human being to take 10 or 15 medications no. in a day, Look, multiple different dosing. It's not it's I'm, not physically possible, but we play this stupid game. So that's why yeah. I think the delivery of care and all that kind of stuff is going to be huge. It makes, so. it makes no, it, may, you're, it makes complete sense because, like, look, even me, I mean, look, I'm, ex I'm, in, I'm in extremely good shape. I'm healthy. You know, I'm in my mid-30s. Not bragging, not bragging at all. Not right? bragging you're, at all. You're not bragging too, at all. And For those of you who are not see, who are listening to this on audio, <laughs> you can't see just how like my muscles are just like bursting through my shirt at this point. But like, yes, yes I, I have, yeah. I have, um, you know, some very basic medication. There's, you know, two, two pills I have to take at night. Sometimes I forget, like it happens. Yeah, it happens. And yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. I a day and I forget. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, I think you're absolutely right that there's this concept around, you know, uh, Dr. Chang, Chang Ruan, uh, who's a really fantastic uh, medicine. He has a integrative uh, medicine practice down in Texas, Texas Center for Lifestyle Medicine. And he calls it collaborative medicine, which is like, you know, it's the doctor working with a variety of people, like a health coach, a nutritionist, a nurse practitioner, et cetera. It's kind of the functional all... medicine model, right? Like the Yeah, exactly. To deliver, or... to deliver better quality care for, for, for patients. Um, and I think yeah. that, I mean, but like- Those look... models were huh. really interesting. Oh, sorry. Well, I was oh, going to no, say no, those ahead. models are interesting too because those wellness, I think they follow the DPC model, the direct primary care model, where they you just go do a subscription, right? Like $100, $150 a month, and they're your doctor and they're your team, right? So, um, which is super cool. But I, you, and there's a bias there too. I'm not, I don't know his practice at all, but what I've seen is those wellness clinics oftentimes have a bias in the sense the people that go to them typically give a damn about their health, right? So there's like, it's a selection bias almost. So you get a, you oh, get a yeah. different result. So, and so, like you said, with him, that's an excellent model. And I'm not sure if that's the, his model, a DBC model or whatever it is. But uh, I think what they're doing is taking that kind of model and applying it to CMS, Medicare patients. You see what I'm saying? And even commercial payers are and, and embracing it too. So I think what's interesting is that like more physicians who, because the, his, the history of physicians is actually like very entrepreneurial like this this whole thing of like going mm -hmm. getting employed by a hospital this is just like come up in the last like 20 years like mainly the yeah. ten, last 10 years because it's not culturally part of medicine and i think that there's yeah. more and more physicians who get frustrated um like yourself and they just decide either they're going to do something completely different or they're going to have their own model like um daniel paul uh is an orthopedic surgeon you should check him out on linkedin he he just finished residency a few years ago and was trying to find a job 
didn't like the places he interviewed, you know, the groups that he's at, and he just said, screw it. I'm starting my own practice, but get this. He decides, like, he doesn't have the money to open up a brick and mortar, so he's like, okay, I'm going to do mobile orthopedic care. So he's orthopedic surgeon. He has a mobile practice, and he said, wow. you know what? I'm sick and tired of dealing with insurance companies and everything. I'm going to work this out with the patient, and we're going to do cash base, which a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, that's kind of BS because he's just taking really rich patients. No, he's not, actually. He's not. He's worked with um, mm -hmm. with the device companies and with the patients in, in certain ways, like, you know, he, he, he works, he has a lot of patients who are coming from a variety of different incomes, but no, no physical practice. He's a mobile practice and it's cash based oh. and he's doing well. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And you wonder if that kind of model is going to work and it's going to spot, like, I'm a big fan of HSA accounts. Like I have an HSA account and, um, you know, um, putting the, the control of the dollar to the patient really makes a big difference. Like all of a sudden you're looking for the best, cheapest way of getting a medication or the cheapest way of, uh, you know, what an x-ray or whatever it is, because you, it comes out of your pocket. Right. So, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of that because, you know, I think that's the biggest problem we have in healthcare is like, we don't have a direct consumer to, um, consumer to, uh, uh, you know, a seller relationship, right? Yeah. We have an intermediary. Uh, a third party intermediary, whether it be CMS or whether it be uh, a commercial payer, kind of, that kind of incentivizes a, um, you know, distorts the market, if you will, right? Um, there's a book out there, I think if you, if you read it, but The Price We Pay, and it was talking about, um, I forgot who was the author of it, but it's a really known guy, but he was talking about how in America we do have the best healthcare. We have the best technology, best doctors, and all this stuff. If you stuff, have money. But our incentive, <laughs> huh? I said, huh? We, have the best we have the best healthcare in America if you have money. The money, but he was talking specifically of if you have like these certain aspects that are really good, but you have the incentive structure that incentivizes bad behavior, right? And oh yeah, so, yeah, that's ex that's um, that's exactly correct. Yeah, and so you incentivize bad behavior, and in a weird way, you see this all the time. Insurance companies are trying to screw doctors, doctors are trying to screw insurance companies, and vice versa, and in hospitals, and, and like, and everyone's trying to get theirs, right? <laughs> so like, it's like it's a weird incentive structure, and that's why you hear billing being so high or you know like that kind or of this thing doctor going to jail i feel like every week becker's healthcare has a new article about some doctor that was like running a ponzi scheme with billing companies or, or insurance companies is, like, oh is there yeah i don't know if it says that behavior but it's like why do you receive like a hundred thousand dollar bill for the hospital right they don't you know and you know like why you know because the insurance companies say no, no. We're only going to pay eighty percent of that. We're not going to pay the hundred thousand, right? So they they up the bill and they they unbreak. So it's a weird, weird, weird uh, system, man. It's weird. It is it is extremely weird. So you know, in, in kind of like uh, wrapping up, and again, we appreciate you jumping on. Um, like for for those physicians who are listening, like you know, what can they do this week just just to get started? Just to get started. Oh, just and, to get started. And, uh, which one? Just like you wow. know, is it? Yeah, that's a great question, right? What would like if uh, you went, if you if if let's say I I took I took your channel away, I took everything away, and you have to start from scratch. Actually, this should this would be a great show. Actually, you have to start from scratch, Costa, but yeah. no one knows you. Like, what would you do this week, like to get started, knowing that like you know you're not happy with clinical practice, and you're like, I think I want to explore the med tech world. Like, what would you what would you tell a physician to do this week? Okay, so you know what's really helped me out in a weird way? Over the last few years, I've done a lot of these consulting gigs. Like, I don't know if you heard of GLG, um, Athenium, and all these kind of companies. They reach out to doctors. We all get these emails. Most of us throw them away. 
Like they throw mm. them away, right? They're acting for a paid consult. Um, you know, they pay you a few hundred dollars for your hour of your time. Most physicians are like, whatever, I'm not going to do that. That really gave me insight into industry. That was the first step. Like even before you and before co before COVID and before MedTech, that really gave me an insight into what industry is. And you think as a doctor, like we think academically, they're like, oh my God, I got to know everything, a little thing about this. I know that to know everything. As no, the industry's questions are so basic sometimes. Like their understanding of what we do are so basic. So like your your that hour of your time for that consulting uh, opens your eyes up to saying, oh my God, like I actually know a lot. You know, kind of reinforced to me that I actually know something that industry wants to know. So it could be something as patient workflow, what kind of medications you use, what kind of procedures you do, why you would do this as opposed to that. Oh, even marketing flyers. What works for you, doctor? Does this marketing flyer make you want to buy this product? And so that was really gave me some insight. So those those stupid consulting things that you threw away, like start actually scheduling some time for them, and you get an insight into industry as a whole. And so, um, and, and also like other physicians, like don't think it's just med tech. There's other outs. You know what I'm saying? There's other outs. Um, yeah. You can get your MBA if you want, and everything's online now, so you can get your MBA online. You have roles as far as, you know, administration in hospitals, chief medical officer of hospitals. You have roles in insurance companies and all this kind of stuff. But if you want to be innovative and you want to be have fun, I think startups and med tech in particular are just super cool. And and you know, also, by the way, man, if you want to go med device, you can go to established companies like Medtronic, Bard, all those kind of places too. You don't have to do startups, right? They're, they're looking for people too. So that's, that's, um, that's good. I would say, right? Like, so I would say, you know, you, you, I would say one, do those GLG things, get on LinkedIn, follow certain hashtags and post with certain hashtags about med, med device and see what comes out of it. And I, I think it'll be pretty positive uh, and be open-minded. I would say be very open-minded and try to change yourself. Um, and if I would recommend a book I'm just reading right now, it's called, oh my God, Innovators, Inner, Innovators Prescription, um, A Disruptive Solution for Healthcare. And I just started reading it. I'm just like, oh my God, this is so freaking cool. So this book is really, uh, really, uh, really, I mean, I just started it, but I think it's a general, it gives you a good idea where healthcare is going and how to be innovative in healthcare. So. Fantastic. Fantastic. We'll have to check it out. And then just to kind of wrap up the show, I usually do a little bit of rapid fire. So for you, I'm going to have one, mm -hmm. one simple question and you can take, take time to think about it. But let's say for the next year, um, all physicians uh, that you know, in America are going to go into work and they're going to see a billboard. I take a billboard out in every city in front of every hospital, in front of every practice, and they're going to see this message. What, what message do you put on that billboard and why? Oh, Oh my God. What is that? What's that message? Um, oh my God. Um, like as a personal message, is that what you're saying? Is it a personal what message a, or is it whatever like you a, want? Like you have, you have, you have, you have a microphone now, you know, or an opportunity where you can deliver a message to inspire action with physicians across the country. They have, a, they see this billboard every day for a year. What do you put on that billboard? Oh, for a physician. Okay. Then at that point I would say, uh, physicians should know they have value outside of medicine. And so I'd say that that is key so that your clinical knowledge base is applicable to industry and other places as well, too. So don't just think you're all you can do is patient care or all you can do is see patient, you know, go to the hospital that you you have actual value as a your knowledge base has um, has value and power that it, it can it can get you rewards outside of outside of medicine. Awesome. Fantastic. 
Kasim, it's a pleasure, man. I know we're going to have you back. It's great to finally do this. This has been a long time coming, but thanks for coming on the show, yeah, man. man. Stay on for a few minutes. Cool. Let's chat afterwards. Thank you all for joining. We're going to be doing more of these soon, okay? Thank you for listening to another episode of The State of MedTech. I'm your host, Omar M. Khatib. Do us a favor. If you like this episode, share with somebody and go ahead on Apple and Spotify, wherever you are, leave a five-star review. Type a few nice notes about us. This is how we get other people to find the show. Thank you. And we'll see you next time.